The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. How do you know what's right? How do you know what the next step is when you, you know what you were doing is not correct? But I don't have a ton of clarity on exactly what to do next. In today's episode, listener Katie shares her experience of being a highly accomplished square peg in a round hole who got tired of being drawn into roles, often at the highest level, succeeding and yet still feeling like what she was being tasked with doing and accomplishing was seriously misaligned with who she was. And on deck with me this week from the Sparked Brain Trust to help tease out what really matters and share insights and ideas is Deborah Owens. After a long career in leadership in some of the biggest companies in the world, she founded her own consulting firm, Corporate Alley Cat, where Deborah advises and coaches people of color in all aspects of career visioning and development. She has this incredible ability to see what's happening under the surface in any given situation and ask questions that get to the heart of the matter and reveal possibilities that feel both empowering and expansive. Quick note, you will hear us mention something that we call the sparkotypes in conversation. So what is that? Well, it turns out we all have a unique imprint for work that makes us come alive. This is your sparkotype. And when you discover yours, everything, your entire work life, even parts of your personal life and relationships, they begin to make sense. Until you know yours, you're kind of fumbling in the dark. And just like today's listener did, you can discover your Sparkotype for free at Sparkotype.com. You'll find a link in the show notes. Now, on to Katie's story and question. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked. Hi, I am Katie Myers. I prefer the pronouns she and her. My general life circumstances are I am a social worker. Um, I've been a social worker for over 15 years. I'm licensed clinical and I have been in the addiction treatment space for the last 15 years. I got myself into a little bit of a peculiar situation a few years ago when I accepted a position to be on an IT team (laughs) and I am not left-brained at all. And I find myself being very analytical and trying to figure out how to create and implement an electronic medical record from the clinician's perspective. It was a a fascinating experience. It was clearly me trying to be a square peg, trying to fit into a round hole. From there, though, that opened up opportunities for me to get into leadership positions because I had such vast experience. I was able to get my dream job, which was being clinical director at a treatment facility, a a 90-day treatment um, drug and alcohol rehab facility. And from there, I stumbled into, accidentally became... I became CEO. Um, after our current CEO left, I stepped into a lot of those roles and duties and got the promotion and again, lived as a square peg trying to fit into a round hole for two solid years. So my current situation is that I left the CEO position because it was 
killing me. No time with family. I was struggling with workaholism and trying to find balance. And I, I love the facility, but I, it was breaking me. And so I left one year ago. I became an executive director of a nonprofit treatment facility. And for the last year, have been really healing from, from the the CEO time period. It just took a lot out of me and I didn't realize it until I was off the hamster wheel. But the last year has been healing and coming to terms with, I'm not supposed to be doing this either. (laughs) I love the idea of being a social worker and working with people and helping people. I do not love the idea of having my schedule be hijacked with patient crises and clinicians needing different types of support. And so I had submitted my resignation about a month ago. I'm currently in transition. They've hired a new ED and I'm staying on part-time to help with that transition. And I still love the place. I, I feel sometimes silly for leaving. It was an incredibly great paying job and I left it. Um, I'm leaving it. It is no longer um, my steady form of income. I read Sparked several months ago and um, found myself to be an advisor nurturer and learned about like this square peg round hole thing in different terms, understanding that the day-to-day activities of a CEO, while I love being in leadership positions and I love people, the day-to-day minutia was excruciating. And how this all kind of fits together with today is I'm trying to figure out what my next steps are. I can do private practice. Um, I can do some coaching. I can do several different things, but I'm really trying to honor and live almost in this experiment of what I see as being true to and honoring my spark type. So the one specific question that I have um, for Jonathan in the brain trust is how do you know what's right? How do you know what the next step is when you you know what you were doing is not correct? There's no doubt about that. There's no question in my mind that what I've been doing has not been working for me and is not true to my nature and who I really am. But I don't have a ton of clarity on exactly what to do next. So thank you so much for doing this. I love the book and I love you all. Bye. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors. I'm Lars Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. So there are so many things that we could dive into um, with what Katie said. And I, and, and I would imagine in no small way, there's some things that you relate to also just with your own personal journey. I'd, I'd love to just what are your general, like what was coming up as you were listening? Yeah, when I listened to this, there were a couple of things that just jumped out at me, Uh, more gut and instinct. And those were clarity, organizational culture, boundaries, and lifestyle. Mm. Let's let's talk about each one of those. Okay. So the first thing that, that came up was the clarity. 
right? The good thing is she's had enough experience that she has a clear idea of what she doesn't like. There is some question there in terms of the decision-making going from one position to the other. I know that she was just kind of giving us an overview, but oftentimes in real life, people really do explain it to you that way. And what happens is you don't know how to help that person because they've done a lot of things. Clearly, she's very talented. She doesn't know what truly sparks her maybe just yet. I mean, she loves working with the people and she loved being a clinical director. She knows what she doesn't like. But I think if I heard that story, I'd be like, okay, great. She's talented. She's got a lot of energy. I'm sure she was great at her job, but I, I don't know where she is, right? So that's what I say, clarity. And clarity is one of those things, Jonathan, that's really hard. People think it's easy, But you really actually have to spend some time, real time, getting clarity. And I actually would even question about the day-to-day, right? Because I'm wondering, was that her schedule was being hijacked? So was that how the organization was run? Because if you're the CEO or the executive director, you should be able to manage your schedule to a certain extent, right? So did she not have enough help? Um, Did she not give clear direction? Did she really, really hate that? Or did she hate the environment and how that ran? Because there are certain organizations where they don't respect your calendar and everything is a fire drill. So I think there's an opportunity for her to really think about what she didn't like, but to get more specific about what really, what didn't you like? You talked about the day-to-day minutiae. I mean, if you're in a CEO position, you're in the executive director position, that could be a whole litany of things, right? But what specifically are the things that just put out her fire, right? Mm. What are those specific things? Because sometimes they could be things that could be outsourced or given to somebody else, right? Especially if you're in the executive director role or the CEO, you usually have the ability to say, you know what? I may not be the best person to do this. Let me find somebody else in the organization who loves this kind of stuff. Maybe there's somebody who loves spreadsheets because those people really do exist, Jonathan. I'm not one of them, but I know they exist out there, right? So I would be curious to see if she really did a deep dive in terms of what you really didn't like, right? Because the day-to-day minutia, that's a lot. But it sounds like that whole thing about her schedule and the hijack, because hijack is a strong word, right? Yeah, I keyed in on that also. It, it was yeah. it wasn't like you know a, this sort of like gentle intrusion. This was like no hijacked, and it's such an interesting observation also about like what she doesn't like. And, you know, we didn't learn what her we learned that her spark type is advisor nurture. We mm-hmm. you know which is all about guiding through growth and all the lifting others up. Um, we didn't learn what her anti spark type was. My my sense is my guess would be based on what she's describing. It's the essentialist, which is all about systems, process, order from chaos. But you bring up a really interesting point also, which is if she, everywhere she went, Katie's rising into leadership role. So she's clearly smart and driven and talented and doing all these things. When you hit that level, you tend to have a level of control and power and agency where you actually can change the way that you relate to others. You can establish those boundaries that you referenced Earlier, it may go against the culture that existed before you rose to that leadership position, but you actually generally do have some level of agency to to do those things. So I, I would actually be curious 
what was stopping her from saying, okay, so maybe things were like the way that it was before was, you know, nonstop availability, massive intrusion, mm-hmm. quote, hijacking of my time and life. But, um, but now I'm in the position where I get to set the context and the culture for everyone else too. And I feel like I didn't have the ability to do that. That's what I was hearing her saying. I'd be curious, like what was going on underneath that? And that's why I said organizational culture, mm. right? Because were these organizations fully resourced? You're thinking, well, she should have an assistant. There's probably a finance department. There's probably a marketing department, but maybe there wasn't. Maybe these were smaller organizations or maybe these were organizations that were budget strapped, right? And so she didn't get a lot of help. And let's just say that was the case. Then if she went into a different organization where as a leader, she would be supported, it may be a totally different experience. And that's one of the things that I, it sounds like she was in the leadership roles and, and that she did enjoy it. My guess is she didn't set a lot of boundaries. She may not have gotten the support she needed. And I would hate to totally say, I don't want to do that because of those two failed experiences, particularly if you didn't get the support you needed, right? So if she would drill down, then this will help her ask questions for the next role. So let's say she goes into another a facility, 90-day facility. Then the questions I would want to know is, tell me a little bit about the culture. How do things get done? What's a typical day like? Is it nine to five? Is it nine to nine? How are people supported? What does my team look like? What will I, I'm very interested in creating cultures where everybody's included and everybody's able to thrive. Will I be able to bring that here? Right. So I would say these are great experiences and to really get clear on them. So the next time you get an opportunity, you can ask these questions, Mm. right, to make sure that that you can get that support. And the other thing I want to touch upon a little bit is boundaries. And this is just a gut feeling or maybe because I've talked to a lot of people. My guess is she doesn't ask for a lot of help. That's that's just my gut feeling. Right. Because if you say someone's hijacking your schedule. It's like they're ripping it out of your hands and tearing it up, right? So my my question would be, did you ever talk to anybody about that? Mm. Did did you ever say, hey, you know, listen, these times that I have blocked out, they're very important. I'm not available during these times. Sometimes people, you know, leave, but they've never explored having the conversation. Or it sounds like she was slammed, right? With lots of work. You know, was there an opportunity to talk to somebody and say, hey, listen, here's the role you brought me in to do. This was my understanding about how I would be contributing. Right now, I'm doing two roles. So I want to talk about what the priorities are because my plate is overflowing. But I want to make sure I'm spending my time on the right things. So sometimes people don't have those conversations, Jonathan. They just take it on and take it on. And sometimes they make it look easy. And so people just keep giving them more stuff. I used to be one of those people. Like inside, I'm like, oh my God, another project. I know this is great for my career, but I can't take on another project. But I would just take it on with a smile. So what happened? People keep giving you things. Yeah. yeah it's so interesting, This the, the notion that she, the other phrase she used a bunch of times is square peg in a round hole, square peg in a round hole, right? Which... So the assumption there is that the hole has to be round. 
And so, and, and again, it goes back to sort of like those things we were talking about. Does it really, when you reach a level where you have the ability to maybe like pull out the jigsaw and mess around? The thing that jumped out at me also, and you were referencing this, is there feel like you know, she, she sounds so good and so driven and so heart-centered and, and clearly capable. She's rising up. But then there's also, I, I get this sense of resignation, like maybe leadership just or senior leadership, C-level leadership just isn't right for me. And like you were saying, no, maybe actually it, it is right for you, but the experiences that you've had were similar enough in either a lack of support or a lack of boundaries or a culture that did not respect that sort of like the assumption becomes, well, this is just what running an organization is. You know, mm-hmm. it's so if I want to, if I want to like have that top role and run an organization, I'm going to have to accept the fact that I've just got to give up my life. That's just the way it is. Rather than saying that may in fact be the way it is in a lot of places, but does it actually have to be? You know, like, could mm-hmm. I, could I reimagine this? Because it does sound like she, there was a lot that she liked about being the leader. You know, mm-hmm. you could tell there, there, there was stuff where she loved being, you know, a, a, a lot of it. And I would hate for her to sort of like walk away from mm-hmm. the idea of potentially stepping into some really senior leadership position again, based on the experiences that she's had in the past. Yeah. It's kind of like I've had people or clients who worked in corporate in leadership positions, and they hated it. The whole slow moving a big ship, all of the different levels, it just wasn't for them. But then they went over to a startup and they love it. They're still leading, but it's a totally different culture. And I just don't think we can underestimate the impact of culture. When you go into an organization, every organization has a culture. Some of them are great. Some of them are toxic. Some of them you can you can survive. It's, it's kind of neutral. But I think you really have to get a good feel about the culture of an organization because clearly she knows what type of organizations or organizational structures don't work, but what types could work, right? And I heard a lot about lifestyle, being burned out. It killed me. It was killing me. Like these are really strong words, right? I wasn't spending any time with my family. I'm looking for balance. That's also something to get clarity on because you can get, I believe you can get what you want, but you have to be clear. So what does she want? Does she want flex time? Does she want something where she can work remotely? Does she want to be able to come in, but maybe only two or three days a week? Does she want to have a four-day work week? Does she want to do something part-time? Does she want to be a consultant to the organization, right? Because even that executive director role that she said she loved and she wasn't sure like, should I have left it? Was there an opportunity or is there an opportunity to say, hey, I love this organization. I'd love the work you're doing. I'd like to figure out a way how we can continue to work together. And I would be more in a consulting role, right? Because that's how people start their businesses and get their first clients. So I think that, and what I found is that oftentimes we don't explore all of our options before we make a decision because I always say there's a gazillion options between just resigning yourself to staying at a job you hate and just saying, well, I'm just going to be miserable or quitting. Like there's 800 gazillion different options in between. And what I found in my experience, Jonathan, is most people don't explore those options. Sometimes they don't even know they can. They don't know that you can come. I could come up to somebody and say, I love the company, but I don't think this role is a great fit. Here's where I think I can contribute at a higher level. 
how can we how can we put something together and make that work? So if she's listening, I think there could be an opportunity for her to go and potentially do some consulting. Yeah. And and whether it's with that going back to that same company, because sometimes that happens. Yeah. Or with other ones. But in yeah. it, what you're talking about is changing the context, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right. I've had I've had so many similar conversations where folks see this as as a moment that requires a binary choice. Mm-hmm. Right? You're you're either all in and this is the way it is, or or you're out. You know, like rather than is there an opportunity? to explore a different context or shape it so that it's different or change the nature of the relationship so that you know both the organization and you can get a lot more of what you want. And maybe there is, but maybe there isn't. But I, I agree with you. So often, we don't even actually have those conversations because we don't enter, entertain the possibility. The other thing that jumped out at me, I'm curious how you feel about this too, is so Katie mentioned that her sparkotype is the advisor, nurturer, the advisor, all about guiding through growth, and the nurturer, all about lifting others up, elevating. They're both incredibly service-driven impulses to work, to invest effort. They also tend to be fairly empathic impulses, especially the nurturer side. If you see other people struggling or suffering or in pain, like your impulse is, how can I make it better? And very often, and the advisor is not entirely different, although advisors tend to be a little bit better boundary because they they understand they're sort of like their role is more to guide from the outside through a process. Mm-hmm. But but one of my curiosities here is given this this sort of like pairing, that the potential for overload and overwhelm that manifests in depletion is so high that you brought up the issue of boundaries. For any given person in a leadership role who cares about life also, boundaries are almost always an issue. I'm sure you've seen this come up so many times in your own business with your clients. For somebody who is an advisor or nurturer who just is so wired for outflow, and then you're in a senior leadership position and you're feeling all the struggle of everyone around you, I've got to imagine. And, and like, so the tendency towards depletion is so much greater there that... um without really focusing on, without acknowledging that that tendency is there, that boundary issue is just so central to what we're talking about here. And 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 that's going to come up because I'm bringing it up because she said, well, do I go back into social work? Do I go back into private practice? And, and my thought is, well, maybe, but it's not going to get you out of these same issues that we're talking about, especially the depletion and the boundaries, because now you're just going to be feeling from all of your clients and their families and everyone else around you, especially with what she focuses in, which is like really intense moments for individuals and families. Yeah, um, I think exactly. Because I also noticed as she was sharing her story, you don't hear her talk about, doesn't mean she didn't do it, but you don't hear her talk about, I've been talking to friends or I've asked coworkers or you know, I've, I've been talking with to colleagues, right? Sometimes you need to get outside of yourself right? To those people who've worked with you and what are the things that they see that you do great? Because there are some people who do things that are phenomenal, but they don't even know it because it comes so naturally to them. So they don't place value on it. My guess is she has some of those things. What are those things? You know, what are the things that when people work with her, when patients work with her, when colleagues work with her, what are the things that they're saying? Are there any similar themes that she hears that she's very much aligned to? I always encourage people to get out and just no barriers. If you could do anything, because we always see 
people who have great jobs or who are doing something interesting, right? You know, I'd like to be Jonathan Fields when I grow up, right? So I could look at, you know, well, Jonathan's doing these types of things. How could I do some of these things, right? So are there people like that out there who have roles that you look at and you go, that's very similar. I'd like to do something like that. And can you talk to those people? Because that process of uh, discovery, or I think in the book you call it, you know, those experiments, those are really huge and can be so eye-opening. And my guess is that along those boundaries is just us not asking for help. I'm going to power through it. And those are the things that will deplete you the fastest. This whole mindset, particularly for women, is I'm going to power through it. And then what happens is you do, you power through it, but you are totally burnt out. And I, you know, I've been there, you've been there, right? You just power through it. A hundred percent. And like we're people who live and breathe this stuff and kind of like in theory should quote, know better. And yet we go there on a regular basis because we're human beings, you know? Absolutely. So I think what's great about the pandemic is that it's brought humanity, more humanity, I believe, back into the workplace. You know, people are realizing life is short, you know, As a leader, I don't want to be working 80 hours a week. I don't want my folks working 80 hours a week. And I think companies are much more open to hearing from people and finding out what they need. But what I find is a lot of times people never tell anybody what they need. It's okay to say to somebody, I am swamped this week. You mentioned that you needed it on Friday. Can I get it to you next Wednesday? Just those little things, because the truth of the matter is, if you're giving it to somebody on Friday, they're probably not going to even look at it till Monday at the earliest, right? Sometimes people just throw out, like, can you get it to me by Friday? And just those little things allow you to begin to control your schedule, allow you to work at a pace that feels right for you. And she used a word in in there, and I forget the phrase, but she said something about honoring what she does. And I very much believe that you have to, it's an imperative that in the workplace, you must honor who you are and find a, a workplace or an environment that is aligned to your values and your principles, your lifestyle. Because if you don't, you know, it starts off small, but then you look up and you're like, who am I? This is not me. This is not how I want to live. So I applaud her for using that word because I think that's that's so important. I think this is a great case of somebody who probably has a gazillion opportunities right in front of her, but she doesn't see it. And sometimes you need to take a moment and take a step back before you go take a step forward. Yeah, I love that. And, and I would imagine you're right based on how she's risen up everywhere she's she's been and how it seems like she's probably very beloved um, and great at what she does, that she would have a lot of opportunity once mm-hmm. she decided she wanted to step back into the marketplace. Uh, to me, the thing that popped out as we start to sort of like wrap up our, our side of the conversation here is, you know, her question was, how do you know what's right? What the next step is when you know what you were doing is not right? And I think what we've been talking about is going back to that word that you used in the beginning, clarity getting clear on what was not right, actually. And was it the nature of the job? Or was it this sort of like context that you have the ability to really get clear with yourself about what you're willing to accept and not, like where your boundaries are and are not, so that it's less about what's the next thing that I should do. And it's more about, let me get clear 
on what matters to me, on how I want to show up, on how whatever I say yes to interact with me, my life, like you said, my values, so that whatever it is, I'm not just saying yes to the quote job description, I'm saying yes to the bigger context. And then the likelihood of that actually giving me what I want, whether it's senior leadership or working in a private practice or starting my own thing is much higher. Does, does that resonate with you or do you have other thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. I love when people say, you know, I don't know what I want or I don't know if this is the right thing. And what I say is, yes, you do. You know, we always know. Now, sometimes we know something that we don't want to know, right? Which is, I've got this great job. They're paying me a lot of money. On the outside, I look like this super cool professional who's just, you know, flying up the corporate ladder, but I hate it. Right. And people are like, I don't know. Should I stay? I maybe I should say, well, you know, and it is hard. But what I say to people is you already know, trust that. Just trust it. Doesn't mean you have to quit tomorrow, but you know. And that's part of honoring who you are as well, is listening to yourself. Other people may be saying, don't leave that great job. You'd be crazy. Who does that? But they are not you. And in this society, in this day of Instagram and social media and and other people telling you what your life should look like or your life should be, I think at the core, we always know what we want and what we don't want. The question is, are we brave enough to trust ourselves and take actions based on what we know to be true for ourselves? And that's hard. Mm, I love that. And, and that seems like a great place for us to wrap this conversation as well. Thank you so much for all the, the, the wisdom and uh, insight. Thank you, Jonathan, for having me. Hey, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation, learned a little something about your own quest to come alive and work in life, and maybe feel a little bit less alone along this journey to find and do what sparks you. And if you'd love to share your own moment and question with us, we would love to hear from you. Just go ahead and click on the submissions link in the show notes to get the details on how to do that. And remember, if you're at a moment of exploration, looking to find and do or even create work that makes you come more fully alive, that brings more meaning and purpose and joy into your life, take the time to discover your own personal Sparkotype for free at Sparkotype.com. It'll open your eyes to a deeper understanding of yourself and open the door to possibility like never before. And hey, if you're finding value in these conversations, please just take an extra second right now to follow and rate Sparked in your favorite podcast app. This is so helpful in helping others find the show and growing our community so that we can all come alive and work in life together. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked.